Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 268th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to grow chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. On today's podcast, we have someone who is helping farmers find ways to promote their products. We're talking to Julie Murphy about marketing the direct market farm. Julie previously ran her own public relations and marketing firm supporting clients in the agriculture and technology industry before joining the Arizona Farm Bureau as Outreach Director. She works with farmers and ranchers throughout the state to advance the importance of agriculture as a food security issue for our state and the nation. Julie is a native of Arizona, grew up on a cotton and alfalfa farm in Pinal County, where she was in production agriculture with her parents until 2005. She is the author of two books, Fresh Air and A Farmer's Guide to Marketing the Direct Market Farm, published by the Arizona Farm Bureau. Welcome to the show today, Julie. Thank you, Greg, for inviting me. I'm so honored. (laughs) Well, thanks for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. You know, you can take the country girl out of the farm or the country, but you can't take the country out of the farm girl. Uh So that's kind of (laughs) a a little saying to describe my commitment to agriculture Mm -hmm. and having grown up on a cotton farm with three brothers and a mom and dad that were in cotton and alfalfa and basically ag production for 45 years. It's just something I've always had a passion for. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons that despite the fact that I left the farm, I've actually been off the farm longer than I've been on the farm. So despite the fact I left the farm, got my degree in journalism from ASU, there's been so many things that I've tried to do to stay connected and kind of came full circle by joining Farm Bureau almost 11 years ago. Wow. 
Well, first of all, go ASU. I'm a graduate of Arizona State University as well. And, Yay. and I, have to, I have to tell everybody that we have known each other for almost a decade, I would guess. And so I know the, I know the farm girl in you because we've uh, chatted many times. Yes, and in fact, I think it's been the whole length of my uh, service and tenure so far here at Farm Bureau. And Greg, you've always been an inspiration to me, and I've always been so impressed about your business endeavors, and uh, we're in total alignment just trying to help the public connect to agriculture. And probably one of the best ways to do that is start your own little garden in the backyard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love telling people, you know, grow something, even if it's just a little bit. Exactly. So talk to me about the Arizona Farm Bureau. Well, it's almost, in fact, we're four years away from celebrating 100 years. So it's been around for a long time. And in fact, we're beginning that process of celebrating that century mark, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And but its core mission is to advocate on behalf of our Arizona farmers and ranchers. So we are a 501c5. We lobby but we're grassroots. Sometimes when we hear the word lobby, we all get, Ugh. but it, right. it's our farmers and ranchers that actually will testify on behalf of the industry on the local, state, and national level. And it's a mix of farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. They're small, medium, and large. They're conventional farmers. They're organic farmers. And they're, like my dad, biotech farmers. He grew biotech cotton when it first came on the market in 1996. But the diversity of agriculture is what we celebrate and we're protecting it all. We advocate as much for the organic farmer as we do for the conventional farmer. It's a very important commitment to the state and to this industry, which Mm -hmm. is what they classify as a primary sector. So it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've always been really impressed with what you guys do over there because you do a really good job of connecting small farmers and large farmers and creating a voice for them. We've actually, in our demographics, assessed uh, to a certain degree that we have more small and medium-sized farmers than our large farmers. And that's one of the reasons when I came on 11 years ago, I wanted to really make that connection. And hence the reason, Greg, you and I have you know, connected so well mm-hmm. and formed this great friendship is because in that arena that doesn't always get that much attention maybe in the general ag industry – it definitely is a connection to the public, and it's really important that we support our small beginner farmers. Right. Can you tell everybody why that's the case? Well, it's the case because sometimes launching, as we might all know, and your listeners probably identify on a personal scale too, it's not easy to start a farm. And it's certainly not easy to start a farm in today's day and age where here in Arizona, it's hard it's difficult to access land. You've mm-hmm. got to worry about water. You have input. So we recognize that challenge, and it's actually the edict from our delegate body that formulates our policy. So one of the policies is the support and effort on behalf of small farmers and organics. So because of that policy, that means my obligation, if I'm doing my job correct, correctly, is to get out and really align and shoulder to shoulder with some of our farmers and ranchers, mm-hmm. because a lot of our policy, I like to tell people, is actually very agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're small or large in operation and farming. The fact that you need some advocacy on behalf of water use, that you need some mm-hmm. advocacy right. on land protection, it's very agnostic. So 
size doesn't matter for us in Arizona agriculture. What you've really concentrated on is helping small and large farmers figure out how to direct market their products. Yes, and the the fun story behind this is the individual who spurred me on, I'm going to give him some props here, is uh-huh. Bob McClendon of McClendon oh, Select, yes. uh-huh. one of our organic farmers. After I try, we have 2,300 Farm Bureau members that are farmers wow. and ranchers. Yeah, so I have a commitment to get out and visit. It's probably going to take me the next another 20 years if <laughs> I have the privilege of sticking with Farm Bureau to do that. But one of the visits was with Bob McClendon, and after the visit, it was so impressive. And I love how he farms, and I love what he does. And I said, what more can Farm Bureau do to support the urban farmer? And he said, Julie, help them market. Mm. Half the time when a beginner farmer comes online, he or she doesn't even realize how important it is just to simply brand yourself. So that is what spawned or what began my process of putting together a book. Mm-hmm. Since, again, as a journalism major from ASU, uh-huh. I, be- I better be good at yeah. putting something together. And so that's why we put this book together, which, by the way, is available on Amazon. And it's I've had a lot of excellent reviews. And for our members... We don't for non-members, but for our members, I give it away free if I find out that they've just launched their farm. Mm-hmm. I'm coming out to visit, and it's our way of saying, hey, we want to help you, and at a minimum, we can help you with the marketing aspect of your farm. So your book's called A Farmer's Guide to Marketing the Direct Market Farm. And so it's not just for Arizona farmers. It's for anybody that has a small farm that wants to market. Exactly. Good observation there, Greg. It's important that I share this beyond just the borders of Arizona because I because I have such a passion to help our farmers and rancher and especially our urban farmers with their marketing and I just felt that that would be valuable however if you do read the book it, and farmers and ranchers have a huff, tough time even finding uh, that valuable moment to do some research and reading but right. if they do they'll discover that a lot of those examples within the book because we give real life examples are actually from our urban, our Arizona urban farmers Mm -hmm. and ranchers, which makes it kind of special and unique to Arizona. But the reality of it, it is any of the do's and don'ts and the tips and the strategies, I try to keep it as simple as possible. All of that can apply wherever you're farming. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at it on Amazon right now and it's available. You can get it. Uh, You can actually get it on Amazon prime and it looks like a nice book. Thank you. We're pretty pr- proud of it. Yeah. And I have had some reviews from some of our farmers and ranchers that actually took the time to go through it and they felt like the tips were very valuable. I try to concentrate on tips that are economical, again, uh-huh. to the beginner farmer. Right. He or she may not even have a marketing budget. Can you still do outreach and marketing? Right. And there's a way to do that. Wow. And I'm looking at it here and it's uh, got uh, five star reviews. That's oh, it. thank you. Boom. Yeah, I haven't I'm... checked. I haven't checked on the Amazon page for a while. We've, uh-huh. We're a little bit busy over here at Farm Bureau, so good. Yeah. So tell me what's in your book. So there's all sorts of things. You know, if you have any basis for marketing, you know that we're going to address price, product, mm-hmm. place, and promotion. Uh, we talk about all the different channels that you can reach out to your consumers, but we give some real baseline strategies that are critical, you know, first of all, figure out who your audience is. 
figure right. out how to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing about our direct market farmers, they are going to connect to the public. Whether you uh, launched a little herb garden in your backyard and you've scaled it a little bit, you've thought, you know what, besides what I'm using myself, what I'm giving away to my neighbors, I actually could sell some of this stuff. Right. So we give some strategies and some of the baseline and most important ones are just that interaction and surveying your customers, finding out what they want so you can cater to that unique niche that mm-hmm. you might have as an urban farmer. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in business, we always talk about the nichier, the better. So the, the tighter your niche, the better you're going to do. Well, one of my chapters, chapter three, I call it your niche and a noisy market because it is a noisy market. Oh, yeah. Even noisier in the urban market. So yeah. there's some things you can do to stand out from the crowd, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking, you, you've used the term a lot, and I don't often get to ask this question. We've been talking urban farming. What in your uh, purview is an urban farmer or is urban farming? Gosh, good question. I think there's probably more than one definition out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's the farmer, rancher, and again, it might not always be size, but mm-hmm. most of the time I would say that they have identify, identifiable land constraints. It may be in their backyard. We may be lucky enough to have a one, or two, one or two acres where we live mm-hmm. or half an acre. So there are those kind of constraints. I do believe that you need to identify within the boundaries of a metropolitan area. Right. So there's another geographic identifier. And I, I think the fact that you have, you know, close proximity to some of your quote unquote urban market, Mm -hmm. that will identify you too. So to me, in my, Greg, I'd rather have you identify because I know you're the expert (laughs) in this area, but to me, there's a lot of geographic influences yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, there's some farmers that are urban farmers that are small. You know, literally, they're doing it in their backyard or somebody else's backyard. And then Bob McClendon, who here in Phoenix, he's got, what, 25 acres or more? He does. Yeah. And the other thing that's, um, he's even taken on some land with one of the hospitals. Right, exactly. And he, um, so it's even broadened. I think altogether now, he might be operating on about 75 to 100 acres. Wow. In the urban yeah, so, area in Phoenix. Wow, that's great. Right, right. Wow, cool. So what is the most important thing to know about marketing a farm? The most important thing to marketing that I identify for my farmers and ranchers, if I only have an elevator pitch mm-hmm. period of time for them, is to tell them to figure out what your brand is. Mm-hmm. How do you want to identify yourself? And that's not just the logo that you create and the words around it, like the name of the farm. It might be part of it, but I also think it's how you want to identify yourself. How are you, what's your persona, what's your personality, what resonates with some of your customers and friends as Mm -hmm. you've continued to move forward on maybe having an actual farm and marketing it through some of our markets. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what I tell people all the time to become a farmer or to become an urban farmer, given that we live in the cities, it's really simple. You grow food, you share it, and you name your farm. So it sounds to me like what you just proposed is that your branding or naming your farm, that starts the conversation in the world to get you known. It does. And 
it's important because part of your farm, we're, we become so intimate with this uh, particular endeavor. Mm-hmm. It becomes an extension of you. That's why I think the part, the right. brand, having a name for yourself and stuff like that is so important because it is an extension of you and it's in some ways an extension of your personality. Yeah. Think of Bob McClendon and McClendon Select and um, how he presents himself versus, you know, another farmer or rancher. They have some uniquenesses, and sometimes when we identify one of our urban farmers versus another, we immediately know who they are because they've done such a good job of branding right. themselves. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about getting started. Say I have a half acre or a third of an acre, which I actually have a third of an acre uh, here at the urban farm, and you know, in past years I've grown food, and I decide that I want to actually start growing and selling food. What what's a simple way to get into that market? In other words, in terms of trying to draw some customers your way, I would say part of it's your network and um, reach out and connect with other advocates in the industry. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I would probably do if I decided I wanted to sell some of my herbs, and I keep referring to herbs because uh, that was one of my first garden endeavors when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And... Um, so I would connect with the county that I live in. There's actually two things I would do. I would connect with, if I lived in Maricopa County, we're using Arizona examples here, then I would reach out to Maricopa Extension Services, mm-hmm. not only because of some of the resources that they have, and a lot of times they're for free, but because they have, for example, a Master Gardener program, and some of the people that run that program can connect you with some of the markets. Right. So there's that. And, and, you know, I am giving a plug for Farm Bureau, but I actually would consider becoming a member, at least connecting with us and finding out some of the farmers and ranchers there. Because if you start with your network and some of your peers, mm-hmm. I think you can learn some of the quick steps to getting into the market. The third thing is I would connect with a farmer's market manager and we have some amazing yep. individuals here in Arizona. Again, maybe I'm getting too state-centric on discussing this, but connect with a if you can find out who they are. If you visit a market yourself and you've purchased a lot of their product, but you want to become a vendor and have your own booth, the best individual to talk to is probably that market manager. manager. Yeah. And that begins the process. Let's let's imagine you've already figured out your brand. You have mm-hmm. a name for your urban farm, stuff like that. But this begins the process of some of the networking that you need to do to make sure you start out right. You also have to ask yourself before you really jump in is, can I provide enough product on a weekly basis to be consistent and committed to that farmer's market and support the farmer's market and also satisfy the manager? Because yeah. his or her stress point is... Well, you show up a couple of weeks, the third week you don't have any product. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a stressor for the manager if they don't have someone, a farmer that has consistent pro- product. Yeah. Well, plus I've found in, because I used to do a farmer's market about 15 years ago. When I was a, when I was a student at Arizona State University, I went back to school late in life. Uh, one of the things that I did, actually the main thing I did during my time at as a student was I market farmed, which basically means I was growing food in the yard and taking it to the farmer's market. And one of the things that I noticed was that the more consistent I was at the market, the more I sold. Yes, very true. 
And you you showed that you had products so people were going to come to your booth. Yeah. Time and time again, I have seen too many new farmers that really don't have a whole lot of product to sell, and then they wonder why they don't have any lines at their right. booth. And yet the farmer next door, like in your case, was loaded with customers coming up to shop. Yeah. It's because you had product. Right, exactly. So how important is that display? Oh, my goodness. Very important. And I hope I can do some name-calling here for their credit. Mm -hmm. uh, Maya of Maya Farms. Oh, yes. Here in, here in Arizona. I told her that if she ever got out of farming, she should be an interior designer. Because when you go into her booth, it's just a beautiful experience not only in the beauty and freshness of the produce that you see, but in the way it's displayed. Mm -hmm. So one key value proposition that I always counsel some of our urban farmers, especially if they're starting out, is treat it like you would if you go into a grocery store. Look at how amazing they display their fruits and vegetables, and they have uh, those end caps where they do some incredible displays with, if not fresh produce, mm -hmm. product in general. And we need to be a little bit more sophisticated with that. Again, I've gone to farmer's markets and I've seen a beginner farmer and they've kind of maybe put a bunch of their, you know, let's stick with summer product because it's summer here in Arizona, mm -hmm. your squash and some of your other seasonal vegetables. And they're just dumped in a bin and the bin might be kind of not pretty. Right. Well, all you have to do is put a gingham cloth down <laughs> in that bin and then fill it up with your fruits and vegetables, right. just simple little strategies like that. Maybe take your cues from some of the farmers that have been selling there for quite some time and see how beautifully they've displayed their product. That helps it sell. Well, of course, that's a, market, that's a marketer in me talking yeah, also. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, one of the things, you know, people come to me often and they say, well, you know, there's already farmers at the farmer's market. Why should I do it? And one of the things that I've found is that the more farmers at the farmer's market, the more people that show up, the more that you sell. It's kind of this snowball effect. Have you found that? Absolutely. And I don't think that anyone should ever feel, especially if you figured out your niche, that you're going to compete right against that other farmer. What we're struggling with, and I hear this and is the case in several other states across the United States, that there's more farmer's markets than there are farmers and ranchers to serve those farmers mm, markets. That's a big problem we have here. So the ideal scenario is that when I come to a farmers market, and there's some really good farmers markets here in Arizona, mm -hmm. when I come to a farmers market, I love it if I see a handful, not just one or two. Sometimes I've gone to a market, and they call themselves a farmers market. There may only be two farmers markets, but one of those farmers barely has any product. Right. That's barely a farmer's market. It's kind of more like an arts and crafts market. So the challenge, and that's why you should never be intimidated if you've found a couple markets that you'd really like to sell your product mm -hmm. through, don't be intimidated by the other farmers and ranchers. Celebrate them and learn from them. When, and I, I noticed one thing. We have one thing that's really cool here at a, some of our farmer's markets, and it's a co-op booth. So rather than having to jump in and have your own booth, you can actually just take stuff to them. Have you seen that happen more and more? I have seen that a little bit. I think that it should happen more and more, and I'm going to trust that it will. Mm -hmm. Here's the reason. Let's say that 
your niche is so narrow that maybe you only grow one or two things really well and it's what you want to continue growing. Well, it may be very difficult for you to have your own booth, but if you co-op, then that opportunity has been resolved. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think more of that should occur actually because of some of the challenges of having enough available produce in season. Yeah. So tell me about your other book, Fresh Air. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I always describe it as being a little bit whimsical, mm -hmm. fun. You can probably read it in about an hour or two. But when I was growing up and people would find out that I grew up on an Arizona cotton farm, I was pelted, literally pelted with questions. And they were so curious. And, of course, there's some idealistic visions of the farm life. The farm life is actually hard. And for your listeners, if they've been farming, they get how hard farming is. So instead of always repeating the same questions, I just decided to put it into oh, a book. Nice. And Yes, and a lot of times the queries were, gosh, I wish I could experience some of those experiences. And I said, you know, you actually can. And they'd give me a funny look and say, well, how's that? And I said, well, there's all sorts of ways to experience the best things about country life wherever you live. And that's my little tagline for the book. So it's 50 whimsical things that allow you to experience the country life or farm life mm -hmm. without even having – to be on a farm or out in an urban area or um, rural area. Uh -huh. And within the book, I weave some of our family stories. So it's a little bit autobiographical, mm -hmm. but ultimately I'm giving counsel to all of my urban buddies that love the idea of the country life, but aren't willing to move to the rural, yeah. to rural America. Right. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. So before we transition, I, uh, there's a couple of Farm Bureau questions I have for you. You mentioned join the Farm Bureau. I'm assuming that there's a Farm Bureau in every state then. There is a Farm Bureau in every state. So anyone listening, regardless of where you're at, you can join the Farm Bureau. And most of the annual fees are very nominal. Like if you're from Georgia, and I only know this because I just talked to my Georgia Farm Bureau counterparts, it's mm -hmm. 35 bucks a year. 35 wow. bucks a year for them to counsel you on a variety of things, including mm -hmm. marketing, other strategies. And then if you want to shoulder along with other farmers and ranches in that advocacy effort, we, we actually formulate policy on the local level. Mm -hmm. You might write a policy at your kitchen table out on the ranch, let's say you launched a grass-fed beef operation, your policy, and you can literally go to the local level because we're organized around counties. If it passes in your county, then it goes to the state. If it has state implications, that policy, if passed at state, literally can go to the American Farm Bureau Federation where wow. it has national implications. And they are obligated on behalf of the farmers and ranchers to lobby in Congress. And that's one of the reasons why the American Farm Bureau Federation is one of the most highly recognized grassroots-based lobbying organizations in the country. They're not derided like other lobbying outfits because mm -hmm. they know that most of that lobbying is grassroots. Even at the national level, we bring out our farmers and ranchers from all over the country. So yes, it's a very valuable tool. And if you see how much it can help you as a farmer and rancher that our fee happens to be $59 for non-members mm -hmm. depending on the county you're in it can be 142 to $180 
per person. The ag memberships are higher because we know we have the power of the vote. By the way, I'm retired farmer. Obviously, our farm is no longer in existence, mm-hmm. and we no longer farm. But I still pay for an ag membership because I believe it's that important, yeah. and I want to support our advocacy efforts. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and you've created a couple of search d- databases for the state of Arizona. Right. Fill Your Plate, which is kind of our customer-facing website. It's just fillyourplate.org. Mm-hmm. We have three searchable databases. You can search for recipes, which, by the way, are mostly from our farmers and rancher members, uh, not only comfort food. We probably have more vegetable-based recipes on fillyourplate.org than just about any site around. And then it's from our farmers and ranchers, which just thrills me. So that's one of the searchable databases. Then our farmers markets is another searchable databases. It's probably one of our most comprehensive lists of Arizona-based farmers markets in our state. And then the third uh, database, and probably the one that might be most appealing to your listeners, is the product database. If you're a farmer and rancher and you have a product that you sell directly, then you can qualify for that. And it's free, by the way. It's free not only to our members, it's free to any of our local farmers and ranchers that have product to sell directly. Nice. And where do we find those two databases at? Uh, they're all on the same uh, fillyourplate.org. If you're at the homepage, you'll see farmers markets, you'll see products, and the other one is recipes. Nice. Nice. Thank you so much for doing that. Certainly. And it's our pleasure. We just feel like it's another one of those important outreaches. Again, it's no cost to anybody that wants to participate and fill your plate. But Mm -hmm. um, I want my Arizona families to know about our urban farmers. And this is another way we're doing it. It's all aggregated in one spot. It makes it easier for people to connect and people can even query. We also have a weekly blog we post about three times a week mm-hmm. and we cover nutrition news food news uh, we talk about superfoods so the blog is a real fun venue and by the way you and i being asu alum mm-hmm. i have every semester a handful of nutrition students they're in their 400 level senior class and nice. they have to volunteer <laughs> i know isn't it wonderful they have to volunteer 60 hours within the course of that time so I'm leaning on my nutrition students mm-hmm. that are embedded in the nutrition research, and they're coming out with all sorts of interesting articles, including the health benefits of dark chocolate. So oh, yes. <laughs> we, have everything, yes. we have everything on Fill Your Plate. Yeah, so dark chocolate, so everybody knows, I, I am challenged a little bit with uh, high blood pressure. Dark chocolate is one of those things that helps lower it. So I eat lots of dark chocolate. And I will fully endorse that because <laughs> I love dark chocolate. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, I hope I have permission to go all the way back to junior high. Oh, please. I was, And it's about 4-H. 4-H. I was a 4-H president for our local chapter. And I realized that my vice president in the next year didn't want to run. So I decided I wanted to run again. And she said, sure, I'm not even convinced I want to be in 4-H next year. So I, I got her vote, and I got all of our active club members to commit to vote for me again. Mm-hmm. You know, I did my politicking, did my networking. And it has real, even though I failed at this whole issue, it has real, it's served me well in my adulthood. 
so come the day of the elections, one of the stage moms, as I'll call her, and I reveal no names to protect the innocent and the guilty, uh-huh, right. <laughs> other than mine, are, are, are. and what I did, assuming that I'd get their votes, all of a sudden, though, when this mom pulled up with in a big white van, out poured a lot of kids that I actually had never even seen before. Mm. So I knew they were not active in 4-H, but I still, it still didn't register. Well, long story short, the young woman vice president that didn't want to be president became president. Her boyfriend became vice president. And I was so embarrassed by the whole fiasco that I started crying. Mm. So I fled the scene and went it and climbed into our car. Back then, you didn't have to lock the car. I grew up in a little farming community. Right. Well, and this is, I give the credit to my mom more than anybody. So she comes in and you, she says, you get back in there and you finish that meeting. I said, Mom, I can't. I've been crying. And she goes, you finish what you began. And so mm. I had, even though she was upset with our 4-H leader that he didn't see what was going on. So I went back in there and between, have you ever cried so hard that you have those hiccups? Oh, yeah. So I was saying things like, any new business? If not, can I hear a motion mm. uh, to move, move to uh, close the meeting? And so after it was all over and I finished that meeting from this, and obviously you can tell that I remember that as if it happened yesterday. Yeah, oh, yeah. To this day, it's been the best thing that ever happened to me because I've never been intimidated now to do anything. Mm. And I've realized that sometimes you can walk into a situation that's really going to go bad, but you still have the capacity to overcome it. So that's my big fail and how I turned it for success in the rest of my life. Wow. That's a great story. Thank you. Yeah. It's a fun one. And I, you know why I love to tell it? I am most proud of having a mom mm. that as hard as that had to be for her, you know, she she said, you've got to be, yep. you've got to finish what you started. Yeah. And this is your thing to finish. Wow. So what do you consider your biggest success? As a journalism student, I could talk about my big break when I got an article in Arizona Highways. I could uh, talk about having successfully launched and managed two business-to-business magazines. Again, for me as a media person, that mm-hmm. was a great honor and humbled that I got to be part of something like that. But to me, the biggest success in my life is developing and growing my relationships with my family and friends. And the reason, it makes me think of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the seven habits is begin with the end in mind. We come into this world with nothing. We go out with nothing. What's important to me and what I feel has been my greatest successes is my family, my friends, and nurturing those relationships because those you remember, you forget about the award you won for this particular, you know, career effort. Right. But you always, you always remember your relationship. Yeah. So what drives you? Agriculture, farming and ranching. I have Mm -hmm. a passion for it. And I want to keep telling everyone's story. Every time I go out, I just recently visited Frank Martin with Cricket Sky Farm. Oh, love what Frank does. I know. And I've met him before, but I hadn't been on his farm. Again, trying to get through 2,300 farmers and ranchers here in just Arizona isn't easy. And I try to alternate between the small and the large farmers 
my organic, my conventional, my even my biotech farmers. So mm-hmm. I have <laughs> I have the challenge of making all those connections, but I have a passion for telling their stories. Our urban farmers, our conventional farmers, I, our biotech farmers, they're too busy. They are getting better, but normally they're too busy to be telling their own story. But I have to give props to Frank Martin. I'm so proud of him. Mm-hmm. He's doing his own social media. And a lot of times oh my I gosh. have a struggle. I know. I have a struggle getting my farmers and ranchers to get out there and tell our story. Right. And one of the most precious things he does is he identifies a unique particular product that he's growing, and he tells you all about it on Facebook. Right. It's a beautiful thing. So that's my passion, and that's what drives me is meeting some of these incredible people in one of the most critical, important, and amazing industries we have today, and that's agriculture. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to do a shout out for Frank. Uh, um, Frank's not a young chicken. He's uh, o- an older gentleman and um, a little bit older than me, I suspect. And I don't like social media. So that's a pretty big thing that he's jumped in and is doing it as himself. Well, and the reason I know it for sure is I asked him, I said, so who's doing your social media? And he said, I am. And I go, really? So wow. I don't know how he does it. And he is so true to what he has a passion for. Yep. He always talks about the seed. Well, when I came out to the farm, again, even though I knew him through meeting him at the farmer's markets and mm-hmm. other things, he was at his little workbench looking through a seed catalog, kind <laughs> of determining what he was going to grow next. I mean, he's yeah. like you, Greg. He can grow just about anything. It's amazing. Yeah. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I have several, but the book that I would recommend contemporarily and currently is Make Your Bed. It's by Admiral William McRaven. I don't know if you've heard it. I think it's on the New York Times bestseller list right now, and it's little things that can change your life and maybe the world. I was so impressed. It's another one of those books you can get through in about an hour, hour or two. Mm -hmm. I was so impressed with it, I bought a book for each one of my team members here at Arizona Farm Bureau just to inspire them. And my first and favorite, his first tip and one of my favorites is make your bed. Mm. His point being start out with the simple and easy tasks first, really establish your, your day and yourself as feeling like I can accomplish it a lot. And believe it or not, making your bed is one of them. So I was so impressed by that, but I also have to give props. I hope this isn't, um, doesn't sound too religious because I don't think it is, but I say tell people you should read the Bible mm-hmm. because Old New Testament, it's so full of amazing insights and tips. And guess what? A lot of, about farming and agriculture, right. even in the Old Testament, yeah. it talks about resting the land because you need to yes. take care of the soil, just insightful things. And yeah. here it is, the Bible. And I have to say that because it's a book that's really influenced my life. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I always say to some of my beginner farmers that feel like they're moving toward a period of, I don't think I can do this, Julie. I say, well, don't give up. You know, every that's an easy thing to say. But I also say, if you conclude that you can't do this farming thing, shoulder with those that are. The easiest and simple commitment you can make is joining a CSA. Oh, yes. Or let's go back to Frank Martin. I just saw on Facebook the other day. Mm-hmm. He 
sent out a call for people that would be willing to sort some seed for him. So he's finished the harvest of a particular product, and he's let it go to seed. Well, he needs some I, – I, I'm sure he's going to pay, but who knows? Maybe right. we should volunteer and commit to um, extract that seed, the best of the seed, to save for the next yeah. season planting. And it's simple things like that that allow you to underpin and support – the urban agriculture movement because it's a movement and it's growing and it's significant. And even though you might feel overwhelmed right now, I'm growing nothing, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I know because of participating in CSAs because I go out to the farmer's market almost on a weekly basis. Those are ways that I can support our urban farmers. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Julie. Oh, it was my pleasure, and thank you, Greg, for asking me. I'm always so honored when I get to hang out with you, and well, I learned so much for you. So this, this, I'm flattered to be part of this. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can either reach out to me via Twitter. I've actually made some great networking contacts through that, and my handle on Twitter is Cotton Aggie, or you could simply email me here at work. It's just my full name, Julie Murphy. And Murphy is M-U-R-P-H-R-E-E, two E's at the end, mm-hmm. at A-Z-F-B. Obviously, that stands for Arizona Farm Bureau, azfb.org. Great. And so then your website is azfb.org. Correct. The website, we have a blog there. And then also we have fillyourplate.org. You can't really necessarily connect to me through Fill Your Plate, but it's one of our websites that allows you to connect yeah. to us. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash A-Z-F-B. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to grow chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. 
so why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.